coaching can help you gain deeper understanding of challenges that may be holding you back. You may not realize that there are others who may be successful and operating successful businesses who share some of the same challenges that you are facing. Welcome to Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves. Our program will look into the individuals and their challenges and show how the coaching process may be what they need to find the root causes of these challenges within themselves and learn to work through these challenges in order to find success. Now, here's your host, Ronald Graves. Hello, welcome to Coaching for Real, brought to you by Poema Leadership Institute, the show that brings you real people, real challenges, and real breakthrough. Again, I'm your host, Ronald Graves, and this show is about you. Coaching for Real is on the Voice America Business Channel to help you discover your masterpiece and live into your greatness. Now, this is the part of the show where I typically typically introduce the philosophy of coaching, describe how coaching differs from other disciplines, such as teaching, training, mentoring, consulting, leading, and then describe our show format. But today's episode is a little different. I will not be conducting a coaching session during this show because our guest has so much valuable information to share that I want to spend all of our time on that. Now, I'll probably ask some coaching questions during the show, but they will not be in the context of a formal coaching session. We are very honored to have Miracle on the Hudson survivor Dave Sanderson with us today. Since the Miracle on the Hudson, Sanderson has built a career as a motivational speaker, mentor, author. In his presentations, he shares and teaches the 12 resources to create your own personal flight plan, precepts that enabled him to become a top producer in some of the largest sales organizations in the world and ultimately enabled him to survive the plane crash. Sanderson has appeared at countless fundraisers that have raised over $8.5 million for the American Red Cross. He continues to donate his speaker services to the organization as an expression of his gratitude for the care he received from the very first person he saw after he was rescued and transferred to land in New Jersey, a Red Cross volunteer with a blanket. In his new book, Moments Matter, Sanderson discusses lessons learned from the miracle on the Hudson and how to take a potentially tragic experience and turn it into an opportunity to survive and create your own flight plan. So welcome, Dave. How are you? Good day, Ron. How are you doing today? I'm very good. Thank you. It is a sincere pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you. Same here. Dave, can you take us through your life and your career, your journey up until January 14th, 2009, the day before you boarded U.S. Airways Flight 1549? Well, thank you very much. My, um, yeah, I... I went to college in Virginia. I had a dream to play football and, as a pro, but unfortunately got a knee injury. So I, my father recommended I get an education. So that's what I did. And excuse me, <laughs> once I got once I got out of college, it was in 1983, and it was uh, a little challenging time finding a job. So my father uh, uh, told me I had 30 days to get out of the house after I graduated. So I became a restaurant manager. Uh, in which something I knew nothing about, but it was a great experience for me, learning a lot of different kind of skill sets and mindsets. Uh, after, after a couple years of doing that and moving eight or nine times up and down the East Coast, uh, my fiancé said, I don't want to move anymore, so I moved back to Charlotte, North Carolina, and got, in, got into sales. 
And that's why I began my 30-year career in sales, first selling copiers and then got into data processing and other computer-related activities from anywhere from software to services. And that's what I did <coughs> up till January 14th. I've got a wife and four kids, and that they took a lot of time. In addition to being the head of security for John, my name is Anthony Robbins, for approximately 10 years, five years of those, I was assistant head and director, and for five years, I was the head of security for Tony Robbins. So that's uh, that's about the career up to January 14th, caps, you know, sort of condensed. Got it. So can I assume that the next day was like many other days, driving to the airport, going through security, waiting to board your flight? Was there anything unusual that might have alerted you to the fact that this day would be like no other day? Nothing out of the ordinary. We started our day at 5 a.m. because we were working inside of a distribution center doing a distribution system check. So, <laughs> excuse me. So we started our day early and we got done early. That's really the only thing that really was out of the ordinary. But uh, I, had, uh, you know, I changed my flight uh, to get home early because I'd been at the end of a three-day business trip. But uh, through security, nothing out of the ordinary. So actually, this was not your original flight you had planned, correct? That's correct. I was on the five schedule on a 5 o'clock flight, and I even had a first-class seat at 5 o'clock. So I gave up that seat to get on the plane I, uh, that I got on earlier that day. All right. Okay, let's, let's come a little bit forward now. Now it's time to board the flight. Take us through your experience from the f- time you fastened your seatbelt until the moment you heard Captain Sullenberger say, brace for impact. Well, I didn't pay any attention to instruction like most times I didn't and most people on the plane. I just was reading a magazine when I first sat down. So I knew nothing about uh, where the exit doors were and all the things that they tell you about. And when I heard the explosion on the plane, it was roughly about 60 to 70 seconds after we took off, which got my attention. So I looked up and I looked out the window, <coughs> excuse me, and I saw fire coming out from beneath the left wing. So I knew something had happened, but I fly so often, I thought the plane lost an engine. But uh, at that point in time, no one was losing any, any their minds or anything. It was, I think everybody thought that it happened on the other side of the plane. So... Uh, one of the parts of this miracle is what happened on the left side of the plane also happened on the right side of the plane, but nobody cross-referenced. And, and up to that point, I wasn't really that startled. Like, you know, I've been on planes before that lose engines, so they just go back and get another, another plane. And that's pretty much until he said his, his famous words, brace for impact, it's pretty much it was, okay, we'll get another plane, get back on, get, we'll be home late, uh, later than usual. Okay. Okay, now it's... He says, brace for impact. Now, I think you have about two minutes to impact. So what's it like on the plane? What are you thinking? What are you doing? Well, what about the rest brace, of the passengers? Yeah, once you said brace for impact, I knew something serious was happening. He used the word dire. I, I first used serious, but I'll use his term dire. Uh, well, the first thing I did was I prayed. And then I put my wallet down in my pants because, you know, the way it was looking, and after we crossed over the George Washington Bridge, and you looked down and, you could actually see people's faces looking up at you. You knew you were pretty close, and the only places you could see you were going was in the river. So you know things were going to get pretty, uh, pretty rough there pretty quick. So I put my wall in my pants, and but I think everybody else, was, it was so quiet to get a pin drop on the plane. And I think the reason why is people were sort of checking in with themselves, knowing that probably we weren't going to come back, probably something tragic was going to happen, and if, if we were lucky, we'd just have some major injuries. 
So uh, for about uh, that 70-plus seconds, it was really quiet on the plane, had my head down, I said my prayer, and, you know, my whole life sort of flashed before my eyes in that last minute, and that's what I tell people. I, I like, and I talked to a survivor from the earthquake in Haiti, and she had a very similar situation that she saw her life pass before her eyes likewise in her last minute before the earthquake. Wow. So... The next thing, can you describe for us the sensation of impact and what, maybe from physically, emotionally, mentally, um, what did it feel like? It was a hard hit. So physically, it was a hard hit. I went back in my seat and up my seat. Um, um, you know, mentally, at that point is when you had to focus. And that's, I think that's uh, what not only did I did, I think pretty much everybody in that plane changed their focus from, okay, I survived the plane crash. Now I've got to focus to get off the plane. And emotionally, I wasn't, you know, I was just in that mode, that mode of um, let's get going where I know a few people were having some challenges, and that's why uh, what I did the next is try to help some people. But, you know, physically, it was, I wasn't injured at that point in time. I could move, but the adrenaline was running. Okay. Any sensation of, um, you know, you may have thought that, you know, you may have not survived the crash, and all of a sudden you have survived it. So any thought of relief or, uh, you know, just, you know, unbelievable? Not at that point. At that point, things were moving so fast. The term I've used in, in the media is called controlled chaos, where things are happening so fast, but you're not losing your head. And that's what was happening. Everybody was moving. And, you know, my game plan, Ron, was get to the aisle, get up and get out. When I got to the aisle... And my mom, I heard my mom talking to me when she passed away in 1997. But what I heard in my head is, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And the right thing for me was you help other people first. And that's why I went towards the further back in the plane to see if anybody needed help. Okay. So the initial thoughts, so you weren't in the back of the plane to begin with? I was in C-15A, so I was four rows behind the left wing. Okay. Okay. So now you realize you've survived a very unusual landing. Um, again, let's, let's step just back for a second to the initial thoughts in your mind. Once, once you realize the plane has stopped and it's, it's sitting there, um, what do you think of first? First thing is strategy to get out. Okay. And my initial strategy, the first thought that I had after I looked out the window and saw light was aisle up out. Okay. All right. Now you, you kind of describe what's happening next. You said kind of like it's a little bit chaotic. Um, can you can you go into a little more detail on that? What, yeah, what different people were, people were doing? Fast. You saw people being very. And one of the things I tell people is extremely. People got extremely resourceful. You saw people, you know, walking on top of the seats because some of the seats broke back. Some of them didn't, but some of them did. And obviously, you saw people walking over the seats, so there were multiple pathways out. And that's another strategy that I tell people that you know, when you only think you got one strategy, one path, all of a sudden multiple paths open up for you to make other decisions. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. And no one was yelling. No one was pushing. No one was screaming. Nothing. People were just focused on getting out of the plane and, uh, at that point in time. So it was, um, it was, I guess, a controlled chaos, fast-moving okay. people, but nobody was losing, losing their minds over it. Okay. Nobody was, was in, you know, fear or shock or, you know, unable to, unable to even function. Everybody was sort of, you know, moving along pretty organized. Pretty much, and, you know, until I got to the back of the plane, then we had one elderly lady who was challenged and didn't want to move too much, and that's when she needed a little prodding. But uh, with the help of a lot of people, she uh, she started moving pretty quick at that point. 
Okay. So you talked about the right thing just a minute ago. You're faced with a choice, leave or stay. And so how did you go about making that decision, what you call and referred to as the right thing? Well, it was a choice that I made because I think it's because of the upbringing that I had and the values that I, I grew up with. I, you know, I, I grew up playing sports, athletics. I, had, I was a Boy Scout. I was always with a group of people, and I was at a team, whether it was athletic team or Boy Scouts team, camping, whatever it was. And the, the motto was you always take care of other people. You, know, you take care of your, your, your boys or your team. So I knew I was alive. And I knew other people were alive, but candidly, I didn't know if anybody else in the back got injured or, or needed help. So my goal was, hey, if there's anybody back, I'm alive, I can get out myself. If anybody needs help, at least I can help them get out, and then I can figure out my game plan at that point in time. Okay. So you're moving to the back, you know, you're moving back in the plane. Right. Are you? Are people coming the other direction from you, moving, you know, are you in, in traffic where they're coming your direction? and? You got it. Get- it was people. I was walking sideways down. They were walking sideways up and stand still, walking over the seats. Anybody else heading your direction to the back of the plane? I didn't notice anybody, but Kaylee, I wasn't watching. Okay. Okay. Well, you're floating in the river. How much confidence did you have that the plane would stay afloat long enough for everybody to get out? I did not have that confidence. I knew, you know, my thought was this thing's going to go down because. You know, my first thought, like I tell people, when I got to the door to get out and there was no room on the wing or the boat for me, my thought was Titanic. I mean, you know, this thing's going to go down and it's going to suck, suck everything, including me, down with it. So uh, I didn't have a lot of confidence at that point. Okay, but you're still going to the back of the plane? Yes. Now, how did they get the doors open? I mean, did the people in the exit aisles, the ones that got the doors open? They executed. That's why I tell you. It was, uh, they had two gentlemen on the doors. Who executed okay. flawlessly? They, they, you, as I talked to them, they both said they didn't read the instructions until the flight attendants told them to read it as they were making the <laughs> final, the final minute going down. They were, they told me they were both reading it on the, in the card as they were, we were going down to the river. Mm-hmm. They knew they had a bigger job than everybody else. They, there, a lot of people's lives were in their hands at that point in time. Wow, interesting. Now it's January in New York or New Jersey, wherever you were. It, it, the air is cold. The water is cold. Um, did you feel it? Did you feel the cold? You know, it was 11 degrees and 36 degree water, but I didn't feel anything at that point. It's once again when I spoke to the EMTs and doctors, they all told me the same thing that it was probably adrenaline just running. So did you even think about the possibility of hypothermia at that point? Not at that time, no. Oh, wow. So, so you describe this. We're getting a little bit close to our. Our um, our next first commercial break, and I the next question will be probably a pretty lengthy answer. So I, that's you know you're going to the back of the plane. Some people are coming to the front of the plane. It seems like it's pretty organized. At any point, did it get disorganized, or did it did people get out orderly? Did people wait for the others to get out and, and you know be polite if they had to? Yeah, there was no pushing or shoving. People were you know walking behind people quickly. I'm not gonna say it was walking generally. It was. It was fast moving, but and there was no pushing and shoving. People were getting out and going to the closest place they could get off the plane. This, you know, when you when you think about it, when you're when you're not in the plane, but you think about something like this, you think about you know people pushing and shoving to the exits, like you know a fire in a building or whatever, and they're all pushing up against the exits. But but what, can you think of why why it was you know so organized on this particular event? 
Yeah, and I, I'll liken it to something that Captain Sullenberger shared with us one day, and I believe I, I do believe what he said is correct. Um, that if you look at the passenger makeup of that plane, it was primarily business people, 80, 90 percent, uh, with a variable of you know a couple families and a couple elderly people. And you look, you flip, you know, flip the script on that. And say coming, this is coming out of Orlando. It's just the opposite, where you have families and elderly people and just a few business people. So the passenger makeup of the plane, I think, determined the outcome. After after Captain Sombra did the amazing job of getting that plane down in one piece. Good. Okay. All right. Well, can you take us? Can you just talk us a little bit about the evacuation? We got about one minute to break. Um, anything unusual or anything that you think was particularly noteworthy about the evacuation? No, I mean, it's, um, like I mentioned, there was one elderly lady uh, who had some challenges getting out. And once we got her out, and I, and I did see one lady come back in from the other side of the plane to get her luggage. And we got her out, and, you know, and she dropped her luggage because she, she slipped when she got out because there was jet fuel all over the place. She okay. lost her luggage, but she came back in from the other side to come back and get her luggage. So, other than that, it was, um, you know, I would say orally, it was, just, it was, it was, it wasn't people getting out of sorts. Okay, excellent. Well, we're approaching our first commercial break. Now, when we return, we'll continue to discuss um, Dave's adventure, so to speak, or his his time on the plane. Um, we're going to talk about some of the things that helped, that led to the decisions he made and the training that he had to help him do. Um, all the things he did on the plane. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to Coaching for Real on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Imagine a relationship where you're asked to think rather than being told what to think. A relationship that is focused on your potential, not your performance. This is coaching, a design alliance where the single purpose is achieving your intended outcome. Discover that what lies behind you and what lies before you are trivial matters compared to what lies within you. Understand that your current realities do not define your potential. They are merely your current awareness of your potential. Become your own hero. Your greatest possibilities lie beneath your current level of self-awareness. Waiting to be discovered. Choose to live into the greatness that God created for you. Discover the magnitude of what's within you so you can conquer the magnitude of what surrounds you. Your coach is passionate about helping you achieve your masterpiece at RonaldGraves.com. Again, that's RonaldGraves.com. Real estate has always been a great investment, but some people don't always know where they can start. Why not think like a real estate investor? Tune into Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. It's not just about buying and selling houses. It's about creating lifestyles, financial freedom, and empowerment. We'll talk about the latest real estate news, financial literacy, and our featured guests include authors, entrepreneurs, and celebrities. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Central, and 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also choose to send an email to ronald at ronaldgraves.com. Now, back to Coaching for Real. Welcome back. We're talking with speaker, mentor, author, and Miracle on the Hudson survivor, Dave Sanderson. Now, in our first segment, Dave took us all the way from leading up to the uh, the day of uh, Flight 1549, January 15, 2009. We talked about uh, what it was like on the plane, the uh, the experience of the uh, engines going out, the uh, 60 or 70 seconds he had when after Sol- Captain Sullenberger said, brace for impact. We talked about what happened during the impact and after that. And I'm still kind of amazed at how organized and how um, how well everything worked. And I'm going to ask Dave just a little bit more because I haven't gotten him off the plane yet. He's still in the back of the plane helping others and observing some of the people who are, who are going out. Talk about your exit, Dave. Um, I know you said there was one elderly lady in the back that uh, I assume you maybe had to help her, encourage her and get her off to get off the plane. But um, talk about actually you're getting off the plane but you were probably one of the last people, and then what you experienced once you got out the door. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I was the last passenger off, and it wasn't by design. My game plan, like I mentioned, get up, get out, get, out, get to the aisle, get up, and get out. But when I got to the door to make my exit out after we got everybody else out from the back of the plane, uh, I went out the right side at 10F. I, I started to get out. All of a sudden, I looked out. There was no room on the wing for me and no room on the boat for me, but it was an amazing sight. People were already being rescued. And uh, that was that was an unbelievable thing to see, but there was no room, so that's why I was inside the plane, waist deep in 36 degree water for about seven minutes, holding on to the lifeboat. And the reason why I started holding on to the lifeboat, I didn't even think about it until they started yelling at me to hold on, hold on. And what was happening was, is the lifeboat was ejected on the right side, started floating out into the river, and they, like I, who reads the instructions, <laughs> is actually tethered to the plane. But they didn't know that, so I held it close as I could to the wing, so they had an exit path out on the wing to walk down the wing after they yelled, hold on, hold on. All right. So you say you're waist deep in the water now. That That's when you're on the wing, is that right? I never got on the wing. I oh, never, never got, got on the wing. Okay. I was hanging out of the plane. And, there, and the way I found that out is I knew I was in the plane, but there was a picture on Good Morning America when I was on there doing the interviews. They showed me hanging out of the plane with the water, my, my, basically my chest hanging in the water, uh, waist deep, waist down. All right. Are you starting to feel the cold now? No, I'm not. You're not. Again, Still not I, feeling I feel that 36 degrees. The only thing I felt in is wet. I didn't feel cold. <laughs> I felt wet. Right. 
So where's where's Sully all this time? Did you see him? No, I, I didn't know who he was. In fact, you know, until I got a chance to talk to him, you know, he went up the left and he was doing his checks up the left, but he was, you know, walking up and down the aisle checking for any other any stragglers that uh, may have been left behind. <coughs> Excuse me. Which uh, I knew there wasn't in the back. I didn't know anything about the front though. But then he was uh, walking up and down the aisles, checking out behind. He was the last person off the plane. Okay, so you were you were like the second to person, last person off the yeah, plane. Yeah, the then, right? last passenger. He was the last person. That's correct. All right. Um, okay. That, so, how did you get in? When did you get in the boat? And how did you get in the boat? Um, the ferries. I had to swim to the ferry, which was the end of the length of the wing, because what I what happened was I felt the plane shake, and how I found. What I found out happened was after I talked to the gentleman, he, a ferry or a tugboat captain, when as he was trying to help, he hit the front of the plane and shook the plane, and I felt water going up my backside. And all I thought, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, all I thought about was Titanic. And this thing's going down, and the worst place you can be if something's going down is inside the plane. So that's when I jumped in and swam to the closest boat that I could find, and it just happened to be the end of that wing. Okay. So now you survived the plane crash. So what did you think? You know, did you think maybe, you know, you wouldn't survive the swim or, you know, wouldn't survive the water? No, you know, I, I, once again, I, uh, I was pretty confident. I'm a good swimmer. And okay. even though the Hudson River is pretty nasty, I, uh, mm-hmm. I, I've had experience swimming with my clothes on. And I even talked about that in, in the blog I just wrote about when I was in Boy Scouts and had to do a task. When uh, I had to swim with my backpack and clothes on to get to the other side of the river and to, to complete a task for for an award, so I knew I I knew I had confidence in my swimming skills, and I knew I was pretty close to the wing. So at that point, I once again I wasn't really worried about drowning. I wasn't worried about hypothermia. I was worried about getting to the boat before uh, something went down. Okay, now, but you worried about getting to the boat before it maybe took off without you? No, they weren't or going any place, man. That, okay. The boats kept coming. They they just kept coming. I I wasn't. I never thought about the boats leaving. They were they were they were there. All right. Good. Well, you've talked about different things that happened to you throughout your life that kind of prepared you for this moment. Um, what kind of training did you have that allowed you to you know to do what you did that day? Well, Anything I believe it, about? and that's why I called the book "Moments Matter" because what I realized is all these moments in my life. I didn't put any value on really had value because it gave me the, the either the reference or the training or the mindset to be able to execute that day just like all of us and you know whether I can mention this one I had in Boy Scouts whether it was working with Tony and giving the mindset we you know one we were I was in Fiji with Tony once and we were jumping off bridges in the middle of the night into a, into a, in a river that was streaming out into the ocean you know, doing stuff like that where I had confidence in my skill sets to swim, um, <coughs> excuse me, and also be able to uh, manage my state, you know, which I talk about, I mean, how to manage your mind through a crisis where, you know, I, I focused on different things. I asked myself different questions. That came from all the being around Tony and all the people that he hung with. So I believe all these things in my life, whether it was sports or Boy Scouts or the training that I had, yeah, working with teams, all you know, and business, and at all, it all contributed to that outcome. Okay. Now, how did how did you get in the boat? So I you got to the out ferry. To the boat. I got to the ferry, and if you've seen the movie, 
the, the ferry they show in the movie actually is one of the kind like the kind I went in. It had a plastic ladder that rolled down from the side. So okay. I had to climb up a plastic ladder, which was the difficult one of the difficult things to do because I was so cold. I was cold and I was having a hard time moving. But I got high enough up where two gentlemen grabbed my arms and pulled me on one of those ferries. So now, now you're actually cold. I mean, cold enough that it's difficult for you to climb. I am cold. I'm cold now, but when I got to the ferry, I got really cold. Okay. Now you're in the ferry. What happens next? I'm in the ferry. They're yelling, yelling me to, to get up and stand up. So I got to the side of the ferry, and that's when I got, I was so cold. That's because what the EMTs share with me is, your adrenaline's gone at that point. They liken it to a fireman who goes into a fire with all the adrenaline. And the next thing you see a fireman do is sit down on the curb with nothing left. And I was so cold I could barely breathe. I didn't know what was going on. And then someone approached me with their iPhone and told me to call my wife and put it right in my face. And I couldn't dial the phone, but I got the number out. He put it back to my face, and I just left a very short message for my family. All right. So now you're in the boat and you're cold. Um, did you think that maybe you might, you know, hypothermia might set in now? Uh, at this point, I'm thinking I may not make it because I was so cold, I didn't know if I was going to even get back to shore. Okay. So what happens next? Well, they take me to New Jersey because I went out the right side of the plane. So I end okay. up in New Jersey, and when, when we hit shore, uh, they had, I found out this later. I did not know at the moment. They radioed ahead because they knew that I had been in the water. So there were three people waiting for me. There were two EMTs and the guy from the Red Cross with a blanket. And um, at that point, I could not walk, so they had to come on and pick me up and carry me to a triage center where uh, all the action started. Um, were you the only one that on that ferry that had been in the water? No, I wasn't. There were a few yeah. others, like myself. Okay. So there were several people who were, you know, extremely cold and unable to, to really function. I think there's a lot of people. Everybody was cold. There are a few people like myself who've been in the water likewise. Okay. So you said it was, what, 15 degrees? Uh, it was 11 degrees outside. 11 degrees. Free water. Okay. Okay. All right. So now you're on the shore and you go to triage and you got the blanket on. Um, no, don't have a blanket on. Sitting there next okay. to the wall and just my underwear. They stripped all my clothes off. And um, I was next to the wall basically with my underwear on. And my EMT says, I'll be right back. And she left me. And that's when I started looking around saying, am I going to make this? Because that's when your mind starts playing tricks on you. So you've got a blanket on, but you're still cold. Nope, I right? don't have a blanket on. Okay, no you don't blanket. have a blanket on yet. Okay. Um, all right, so what happened next? Uh, a gentleman came up with a card in his hand and asked me to give him, give him my name and my date of birth. And he did. I got it out. And he put a, put a big chain on it, put it around my right ankle, and he walked away. And that's what uh, when I thought I had died. I thought that was, all I, could, all I could associate to that was MASH, and I saw on TV, where they mm -hmm. tagged your toe and you're dead. And so I thought, okay, I didn't make it. I, all this is, is, I said, maybe it's true. You watch yourself die like in the movie Ghost. You watch yourself die, and maybe I am dead. Maybe all this is just playing out, and... I'm uh, hallucinating. Wow. So you survive the crash. You survive the water. You get in the, the boat. You get to shore. But that might be everything you survived. That's what you're thinking at this point. Yep. That's, That's the exactly it, Ronald. Now, was anybody else in there with you? Oh, there were a lot of people in the triage center. Okay. And close to me, there was a gentleman on my left who 
was like I was, and a lady on my right who didn't even have any uh, any garments on. Okay. And are they're, they're, I assume they're just as cold as you are and probably oh, yeah. counting their, their minutes as well. Most definitely. So how did you get out of this situation where you're just sitting there thinking that, you know, this is the end? Well, Heather, my EMT, came back and told me she needed to take my blood pressure, and I'd never been so happy to have blood pressure in my life. Um, but then she took it. It was 190 over 120. She goes, looks at me and said, you could have a heart attack or stroke. Man, you got to get out of here right now. We got to go. And she used the word stat, and I, I think that she was communicating with the other EMT, but I'd heard that on TV before. When they say stat, you're probably going to go someplace pretty quick. And um, they put me on a gurney and wheeled me out. That's how I started going towards the hospital. Okay. Um, and then how the others, um, you, you left them behind. I mean, you, you were stabbed, you were out, and they were, they were still there? I have no idea what happened to them. Okay. I, know they probably, I know they ended up someplace, but that was okay. not my concern. Okay. Okay. And now you're on the way to the hospital. It's starting to get a little bit warmer. Not really. It's still cold outside. At least okay. I'm in the ambulance getting to the hospital. And when I got to the hospital and they picked me up and carried me because the gurney got stuck, I found out. I didn't know this until later. The gurney got stuck in the ambulance, so they picked me up in blankets and carried me to the, uh, to the bed in the emergency room. And that's when it started, started everything going on in the hospital. Okay. So now, you, now you're probably realizing that you did survive the cold and you, that you are alive. Is that correct? I, I realize I'm alive and I realize that... Uh, at that point, uh, something was going on with my body, but I couldn't feel anything because I was so cold. Wow. So talk, let's talk about the emergency room uh, experience. When did you just start to, you know, start feeling like you're human again? That did happen about five hours. They, uh, you know, they had to warm my body up slowly because of my body was so cold. They didn't want to do any tissue damage, I found out later, my organs and everything else. But... Uh, in that five hours, I did a lot of interviews for TV. They came in. I you know, spoke to a lot of you know, reporters. Of course, I spoke to many authorities from the governor of New Jersey to the director of Port Authority to the state police in New Jersey, New York, the FBI, and Homeland Security. They all wanted to talk to me. Another gentleman who was on my left who was, who was uh, in a situation like I was, he fractured his sternum, and they wanted to find out because uh, everybody else was already going home. They needed to talk to somebody. and. You know, and the crew was locked down, so they couldn't get to the crew. So uh, okay. they were we were getting questioned all night, and but yeah, it was it was pretty pretty hectic. And the hospital folks did a tremendous job. My my nurse was an angel, and her name's Nurse Bautista, and she's still my angel. She took great care of me that night. So were you in there with other passengers in the same uh, emergency room? There were two other passengers in there, and I know one of them. I, I met the other one, but I know one of them pretty well because we live about a mile and a half from each other. Okay. Good. All right. So now, when did you start feeling, you know, how long did you said it took about five hours? Five hours before I could uh, go to the bathroom. That's correct. Okay. Uh, what happened after that? I mean, your, your, your experience, did you stay in the ER? Did you, did you get released? Uh, did you, they, you they put an inpatient? Us, they put both of us up on a separate wing in the hospital because okay. the media was trying to get to us for interviews. So, they put, put us up where it was a little bit difficult to find us. They gave us our nurses, and both of us got well, excuse me, what I call a liaison or a person representative from U.S. Airways to uh, be our point person to 
help us with other details, like talking to our families, making arrangements to get home, getting some clothes, making sure we got something to eat. So we, uh, that was pretty much after the emergency and what happened to us up in the private rooms. Did you talk to your family at all during this time in the About ER? Midnight, the- I finally got a hold of them, a little before midnight, because I, there was no phone available and, until the person from U.S. Airways got there. And, and I finally talked to my wife close to midnight, and she was uh, telling me their experience down there, which was pretty wild. Okay. So now, you, now you're pretty sure you're going to make it, right? I'm alive. I've, I'm going to make it. Uh, but, you know, I found out that my blood pressure was really sky high. And, but, you know, I'll get home and we'll deal with that then. Okay. Okay. So how long were you in the, uh, in the hospital? So I did the interviews with Barry the next morning at, uh, you know, the early shows we did. And, and, I, and then right afterwards is when I flew home to Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got a, the 10 o'clock flight back. So I was in the hospital overnight until about, uh, you know, that next morning they got me back to the airport to get home. So how are you feeling now that you're flying back? Do you feel physically pretty much like yourself again or? No, not really. I was, all I had left, it was a hoodie in my watch. Okay. Uh, so a sweats, I should say, and a hoodie in my watch. I was back in coach, you know, and they left the middle seat open because I knew I had what I'd been through. The flight attendant, Beth, took great care of me. She, uh, she knew who I was, so she didn't let anybody get to me, and she made sure I had plenty of whatever I wanted to eat or something because I hadn't mm-hmm. eaten much still. But mm-hmm. I just sort of locked it down at that point and just get me out of here. All right. Well, we're approaching our last commercial break. This has been very exciting so far. I've got, still got some good things to talk about in, in, the, uh, in the third segment. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to the Coaching for Real on the Voice America Business Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Imagine a relationship where you're asked to think rather than being told what to think. A relationship that is focused on your potential, not your performance. This is coaching, a designed alliance where the single purpose is achieving your intended outcome. Discover that what lies behind you and what lies before you are trivial matters compared to what lies within you. Understand that your current realities do not define your potential. They are merely your current awareness of your potential. Become your own hero. Your greatest possibilities lie beneath your current level of self-awareness, waiting to be discovered. Choose to live into the greatness that God created for you. Discover the magnitude of what's within you so you can conquer the magnitude of what surrounds you. Your coach is passionate about helping you achieve your masterpiece at RonaldGraves.com. Again, that's RonaldGraves.com. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. 
you are in the sales field or maybe don't even know that you are, you need a plan to be successful. Every day we are engaged in business and don't even realize that it all comes down to sales. We all have something to say and need to motivate others to the same way of thinking. Sales Execution Optimization, the new SEO, is the show that gets you thinking and speaking whatever the product or service. Host Bill Bush will give you the tips you need to succeed. Listen every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also choose to send an email to ronald at ronaldgraves.com. Now, back to Coaching for Real. Welcome back. We're talking with speaker, mentor, author, and Miracle on the Hudson survivor, Dave Sanderson. And... Tell you that that last segment was really amazing. It was, you know, from from my standpoint, probably from most of the listeners, we we hear about this, we we see the movie, we, um, you know, the plane crash, we survived. You know, you guys survived, got out on the wing, on the boats, and everything was fine. But but what you were telling us is that's where the next crisis started. Just trying to survive and live um, once you've gotten into the into the boat. So. Um, that, that's, that's absolutely amazing. That, you went through a lot. You went through a very lot in that, in that 24, 36 hours. Um, and some people go into PTSD when they're faced with a crisis situation. It's something, even when they go through something that you just explained to us or just described to us as being so traumatic. But you, you experienced growth. Can you explain for us what happened? Yeah. I, how that happened? Many people went through, got to a depressed state, including Captain Sullenberger, was, as we all saw in the movie Sully. Uh, but I didn't, and I kept questioning myself. It's like, why didn't I? Because people kept telling me that I was going to have depression, and people kept telling me that I would need therapy, but I didn't. And I always kept saying, well, what's the difference between me and them? And I started putting these pieces of the puzzle together on what was going on, and I think it came down to three basic things, and this is what I talk about in my new talk, um, how, to, how to really grow from a traumatic experience. First is I, you know, the way I manage my state or manage my mind. And I, you know, I, I ask myself a different level of question than uh, some other people where some people focus on why this happened to me and why this always happened to me. And they keep asking themselves disempowering, focusing on disempowering things, and dig themselves so deep, they get to go into depression or PTSD, and I didn't. I, I asked myself, how can I add even more value and enjoy the process, and show, and the, which gave me a positive reference. Second thing is, you know, I, is, is I've figured out the meaning I attached to this was of gratitude, where some people who go into PTSD or depression have a meaning of, you know, of sorrow or, you know, hopelessness. And therefore, they go into that depressed state. So I, it's the meaning you attach to something produces what, how you feel. So I think that's the second thing. And the third thing is sort of reference, the references where I put a positive references around what happened compared to some other people who you know, may have lost their jobs. I know of at least two people on the plane that lost their jobs because they couldn't handle the stress of what was going on. And they went into depression 
and which is really sad for me to hear. So I think those three things contribute to how I grew and how you can grow from a traumatic life event instead of going to a depressed state. Okay. Do you, um, you stay in touch? You talk about a couple of people who lost their job. Do you stay in touch with any of the passengers? Barry, who was in the hospital with me, uh, like I mentioned, he, we have a lot of similar experiences. And a lot of people that, who live either in Charlotte or went out the right side of the plane. And, and Captain Sullenberger, because we share the same birthday and we're both out speaking and doing a lot of things. Of course, he's doing it at a different level than I am. But we share the same birthday, so we share and we spoke together for the first time last year at Illinois State University. So uh, it was he got to hear my story and I got to hear his story, which is pretty cool. It is cool. So what role, can you tell us what role leadership played in the final outcome on uh, the miracle of the Hudson? Well, leadership played probably was the critical role because one thing I show people when I speak is on the right side, and you see this in the movie likewise, so this sort of played out in the movie. On the right side of the plane, all the crew went out to the left side of the plane. So the right side of the plane was managed by the, by the passengers. It was passenger-driven. who had zero experience on how to manage anything knew nothing about how to manage a plane incident, let alone a crash. And all of a sudden, leadership, leaders had to step up, and, and all of a sudden, what you find out is, is true about leadership. And this is one of the things, the tenets I teach about leadership is those with the most certainty in uncertain times become the leader. And it doesn't matter whether you're the lowly private or you're the general. Whoever exudes certainty at that point in time becomes the leader. And that's what happened on the right side of the plane. So leadership was a critical, critical aspect of uh, how this whole thing turned out. Well, you showed leadership skills in what you did by going to the back of the plane and helping people. Were there others others there that you recognized were taking leadership positions as well? Yeah, there was one gentleman, I, I, I've, he and I have talked, because he had an incident on the front of the plane. He was, he was a retired Marine, and when all stuff was breaking loose up the front of the plane, he was giving some guidance on how to get into the lifeboat and things. So he... He definitely took a leadership role up at the front of the plane, on the left side of the plane, up at the uh, front. So I think there were leaders on all over the plane that day. Okay. So tell me how this relates, or tell us how this relates to, you know, those in the audience that are listening, entrepreneurs, leaders. Um, how does this particular situation and this event um, relate to them? Well, I speak to entrepreneur groups a lot, a lot of times. Uh, about all these different lessons and what happened, but I think how it relates to entrepreneurs specifically is that, you know, when, you, when you're starting a business like I just did from scratch a couple of years ago, you got total uncertainty. You, you know, you think you got a plan, you think you got an idea, you think you got a concept. You're pretty innovative, pretty resourceful, but all of a sudden stuff starts hitting you. And what I call personal plane crashes. And so, it's how do you respond to those personal plane crashes to be able to build a business from scratch? And so this is a, really a metaphor. This is a case study, uh, this plane crash called the Miracle on the Hudson, on how to face, face incidents as they come around and be able to respond and how to step up in leadership, anticipation, awareness, faith, you know, all these different things that I talk about, uh, same things that entrepreneurs face every day. Okay. Now, you just mentioned you started your business a couple of years ago, but it's been, what, seven years since the uh, um so eight, actually eight years since the incident. Yep. Um, right. What happened in between? I mean, let's let's say the first couple of years out from this. What what was your life like? I was I was a sales manager for a company by the name of Oracle. So I was traveling every week, marketing and leading a team, but marketing sales for their uh, you know for their application sets. So 
I was uh, always in front of clients, executive teams, and now the plants and working with internal teams. So until, uh, you know, for about four and a half years after the plane crash, that's what I still did in addition to speaking, in addition to trying to be, have a family, in addition to, you know, uh, still trying to be the security director for Tony Robbins. It was quite a, it's quite a taxing time. Yeah, so your life really didn't change. You just kind of continued with what you were doing after yeah, the experience. We liked the lifestyle that we had. It was, you know, mm-hmm. doing pretty well. But, you know, about four and a half years into it, my wife finally gave me the thumbs up to go ahead and go out on my own. And that's uh, that's what I was waiting for. I want her to buy into this because if she was living, you know, she lived for certainty and she had such uncertainty after the plane crash, I didn't want to have any more uncertainty face the family. So that's why I hung yeah. in there. All right. So, I don't want to, you know, do this entire show without talking a little bit about your book, Moments Matter. Um, talk to us about the inspiration for writing your book. Well, how, how I was inspired to do the book is, a few years ago, we had some, a couple neighbors down the street, and they were elderly ladies, and whenever they would have a challenge, whether their light bulb went out, their TV wouldn't work, we'd go down and fix it. You're your neighbor, right? You do what you're supposed to do. So one day I was down there fixing their TV, and when I got done, they said, you want some cookies and milk? I said, sure. So I sat down on their couch, and they had a couple big books on their coffee table. I started flipping through them, and I see these pictures of concentration camps. And I'm like, look at these things. I'm like, what are these? And she goes, well, we were there. And I'm like, look at them. I'm like, yeah, our parents died in these concentration camps. We survived. That's why they, Then they, both of them showed me their insides of their arms. And I'm like, Wow. I said, you need, to, you need to record this story, you know, for, for posterity. They said, we don't want to tell you a story. We don't talk about it. So what happened was a couple of years ago, my former assistant said the same thing. She goes, you need to record this for your grandkids and great-grandkids because you're not going to be here. And so I did, and all of a sudden that was the inspiration of the book because we realized there were these 12 lessons that, uh, and strategies that I used that day and other people used to uh, not only survive, but thrive after a plane crash. And that's how the, what inspired it was these two elderly ladies that uh, would not tell me their story, or tell anybody their story. Wow. Um, now you talk about the 12 lessons in that book. Um, can you give us, talk to us about maybe pick up two or three of those that are your favorites that uh, just give us a little sketch? Yeah, I think all, of course, all of them are my favorites, but uh, okay. I would say some of the ones I love talking about the most are like certainty. I've already referenced certainty once about leadership, and that's what people are really looking for in leaders is giving, giving certainty. Uh, one I love talking about is sensory acuity, and what I mean by that is how to communicate using all your senses, whether it's you know, visual, auditory, or kinesthetic, and that played out that day, and that's what I do every day, and that's how I, one of the strategies I use to become a successful salesman is is being able to communicate in the, in the person's primary modalities. That's what I talk about. You know, one of the skills I also think I talk about in the book is anticipation. Because what Tony Robbins told me is the one skill he was looking for in, in a person like me who was going to lead a team of leaders around, his, around him being security is the ability to anticipate. So that's the one skill that's going to set you apart and everybody apart going forward is the ability to anticipate. So I talk about anticipation and and also around persistence. You know, of course, we talk, you never give up, and I think that was part of the, uh, the model of that day, and, of course, most successful people, if not all, are the ones who, uh, when they face adversity, don't give up. Wow. Can you, what's the overall message of the book? And, and, and you know, what did, when you wrote the book and you put it out there, what did you want your listening audience, you know, what did you want them to grasp? Well, 
the one thing I wanted them to grasp is you can have there's going to be a moment in life. Of course, I call it personal playground, but that one defining moment that you can create where your whole mission of your life and your purpose of your life becomes clear. clear. And for me, it was a plane crash. It had to hit me across the face to get me focused on it. But yeah, I hope people read this and say, you know, you know, I'm going to have one of those moments where I'm going to have a, and all of a sudden I'm going to realize why I'm here on this earth and what can I do with this moment now to go forward to add value to other people so they can uh, they can realize their moment. Okay, so it did you realize that right away, or did you? It was when you went to two ladies that you bet um, you realized that you had a moment. The two ladies, I, I sort of coming to me, but when Vicky said that I needed a recorder for. For my posterity, for my grandkids, that's what it really said. You know, I want them to understand that they're going to have a face adversity in their life and what you're going to do with it is how it's going to define your mission in your life. All right. Well, we've come coming towards the close of our show here. Now, before we get to that, I want to ask you, um, how can our listeners, I mean, you, you do your workshops, you've got your book. Um, how can your, our listeners get in touch with you to either get on your website um, follow you, um, maybe purchase a copy of your book, or even book you for a for a speaking engagement. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, the easiest way is my website at davesandersonspeaks.com, and I've taken out all the filters. You, if you go on there, you can get to me directly. My assistants no longer manage that. Um, second, my Facebook page is Dave Sanderson Speaks, and that's where I leave a lot of the uh, what's what's coming up and some of the ongoing things, and I interact with a lot of people there. Twitter, uh, my handle is Dave Sanderson, too, and that's where I leave my daily quips and daily thoughts. But LinkedIn under David Sanderson is where I give my business lessons and where I'll share my blogs that I write uh, twice a month. So that's where I expand my thoughts of, of what I learned and how it can affect you in your, in your life. Well, thank you very much. It has been a sincere pleasure, Dave, having you on this, this show tonight. Um, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure there's a lot that we can we can gain from you uh, going forward. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. Coaching for Real is about you, real people, real challenges, real breakthrough. You know, I've been repeating that phrase every week since this show first went on the air, and I don't think we've had anyone on the show, not even close, who's faced a greater challenge than Dave Sanderson did sitting on that plane floating in the Hudson River and, you know, beyond that, as we've learned tonight, uh, going beyond that in the boat, you know, in the hospital, thinking that, you know, he wasn't going to make it. So, and then his breakthrough moment, um, where he is today now is, is, I think, truly remarkable. So that statement even has more meaning now. Um, if you're an entrepreneur or a business leader, would like to be a guest on this show, simply email me, ronald at ronaldgraves.com. Tell me you would like to be a guest and I'll send you an application. If you've been thinking about engaging in the services of business coach, let me know. I'd be more than happy to help you with that. Once again, my email address, ronald at ronaldgraves.com. It's been a sincere pleasure to add value to you through Coaching for Real. May the Lord bless you and keep you until we meet again. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Coaching for Real today. Be sure to join Ronald Graves again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again very soon.